Jeremiah and his uh, relationship with God and his relationship with the, the people of Israel and his, the call upon his life to, um, uh, to, to not simply rebuild the walls of the city but to rebuild the people of God. So our scripture this morning is from Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 17 through 20. Please listen that we might hear the word of God. Then I said to them, that's Nehemiah, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What's this that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or claim or right in Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So where we are so far in the story, we've got to the place where uh, Nehemiah uh, has... Uh, he's, he's gone on this journey around the city. Uh, he's got to the place where in God's time he is standing before the people and he's telling them of the task that lies before him, this task of uh, rebuilding, rebuilding the walls of the city. But as I, as I said more specifically, the task of uh, rebuilding God's people. And we talked about what that looked like last week. Uh, we talked about the, the, the desire of Nehemiah to, to bring glory to God. And that's why he was rebuilding the, the walls of the city, to bring glory to the name of God. God resides where his people reside in, in the Old Testament. So rebuilding God's people brings glory to God. And that's where we left things last week. And as, as Nehemiah makes this announcement to the people of, uh, of, of the task that lies before him and the task that lies before them, one of the very first things he, he does before we even come to the people's response is we discover that, that, that Nehemiah is speaking to the people with what you might want to call a twofold authority. A twofold authority. The first thing that we see is when Nehemiah is speaking to them, and this is in verse 18. If you still have your Bibles open, you'll see what I'm talking about. In verse 18, he says this, I told them of the hand of my God uh, that had been upon me for good, and also of the, uh, of the words that the king had spoken to me. And with those pieces of authority, he challenges them. Let us rise up. And build. I think it's interesting that he uses these two uh, bases of 
authority. But I want you to notice which one is primary. And it's the first one. Uh, the weight is at the front end of that particular sentence. I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me. So Nehemiah comes to them not in his own authority, and primarily he comes to them in no one else's authority, but he comes to them in the name of God. He comes to them with the authority of God behind him. He spent, as we've already talked about, these four months in prayer and in dedicating himself to God's service and listening to the plan that God has for him and for the people and, and formulating that plan with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And here he presents it to them and says, guys, this is not of me. This is the work of the Lord that we are called to do. But then after he's spoken of this authority that comes from God, he also speaks of the authority of the king. He told them the words that the king had spoken to him. But, it, but as you read this sentence, it's almost like an afterthought. So this use of the word also. Now sometimes when you add something on, it strengthens it. Other times you add it on because you feel like you should. <laughs> and it almost seems like that. In my reading of this anyway, I told them of the hand of my God. Oh, and by the way, also the authority of the king. So it almost reads like the king's authority is, is, is secondary. It's, it's an afterthought. But... But it's necessary for Nehemiah to mention this because in the, in the hearts and in the minds of many of his hearers, perhaps that's the thing that will sway them. That's the thing that carries the weight for them and it serves a particular purpose in enabling the people to begin the physical work that is before them. So what I think we find here is almost akin to, to the Apostle Paul. There's a verse in, in Paul's writings where he says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I may win some to a knowledge of Christ. So here we find something very similar to that. Nehemiah is using the means at his disposal to persuade the people using a variety of different means. He speaks of God's authority but for those who are suspicious perhaps of that, for those who are of a more, shall we say, practical or pragmatic mindset for whom the spiritual is of a lower standing, he says, if that doesn't carry any weight for you, then here are my letters from the king. I come also with the king's authority. So he uses whatever means he has at his disposal with integrity to persuade God's people to, to, to do God's work. Because remember, the charge and the letters that the king gave to Nehemiah were in a very real way prompted by God. Nehemiah waited on God's time to speak to the king, and it was because it was in God's time, it was in God's hands, the king himself was a servant of the Almighty God. So whatever source of authority Nehemiah is claiming. The root of that source is the Lord God himself. Well, after this, we find that there are two responses 
that happen. Two responses that take place. First of all, we find that there's, there's the response of the people. Their response we find in verse 18 as well. He spoke of his authority and then they said, then let us rise up and build. They were persuaded. There seems to be very little doubt in their mind. They're captured by this vision. This man's coming to us in the authority of the Lord God himself. And there doesn't seem to be any discussion. There doesn't seem to be any debate. They recognize this is the hand of God. And they embrace this with a very simple response. Let's rise up and let's build. And then they begin to strengthen their hands for the good work. As I read this, it reminded me of church that I was in in North Carolina, uh, the, the Antioch Presbyterian Church. I was pastor there for a number of years uh, back in the, in the um, early 2000s. While I was there, uh, the community over the years had, had changed quite dramatically. Uh, it was a, uh, the, the church was in the middle of the country. It was a very rural community. Um, but one of the things that had happened was uh, there were many uh, uh, Latinos, Hispanics had come into the area and were settling in and around the, uh, around the church and it was becoming quite a sizable Hispanic community. Um, to such an extent, not just in the area around this particular church, but in the whole presbytery, to such an extent that the presbytery itself had uh, called uh, a presbytery associate executive who, uh, who was from Mexico. Uh, he was a native Spanish speaker, and he was uh, one of the presbytery execs, and he was responsible for Hispanic ministry within, within the presbytery. And one of the things that he was doing was going around uh, uh, determining uh, where there were uh, clumps, if you like, of Latinos in order to begin to, 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 to build some, some fellowship within the midst of that community. And he had determined, as we knew, that there were a good number of Latinos very close to our church. So um, he uh, called me and said, we would, we'd love to be able to use your property. We had a manse, uh, very similar to the, to the birdhouse. We had a manse that, that we never used for anything. I had my own house in a neighboring town, and this manse was just sitting there. We use it occasionally for Bible studies. Um, but this guy came and he said, um, we would love to have the, the use of your, of your manse and use that as a, as a basis for, for, for developing and for growing a community uh, of, of Hispanics. And, and I said, well, this is something I think would be very exciting for us to do. I can't give you the yes directly to do that. We need to, to discuss this with, with Session. And Session needs to give the, the approval for this. So uh, we invited him and, uh, and, and someone else to come from the, from the committee and they, they came, they made the presentation and it was, a, it was a wonderful presentation, it was a wonderful laying out of everything that they were planning to do and at the end of, of the discussion, I excused 
uh, the two the two of them and and i and i said uh, to to them with the members of session we're going to take a month to process this to consider this and we'll come back and after a month we will have a decision for you we'll be able to give you an answer and my hope was in that month the the elders would would discuss this with the members of the community and some of them did they absolutely did uh, at the at the end of the month we got back together and i asked the members of session so where are we with this and one of the elders said you know it's something we've never done before and it's a challenge for us to consider that uh, we're we, we we don't have any latinos as part of our our community and we don't know any latinos ourselves some of them were farmers and they had migrant workers working alongside them but they were not friends or colleagues in that particular sense and there was a level of discomfort but one of the elders said we've got to say yes to this because this is what jesus would want us to do and i was almost in tears in that moment because in that moment that elder and that session got it they understood the call that was upon them and the call that is upon all who are faithful to jesus christ that elder said in in very very clear terms what the people here said let us rise up and build when god's plan is laid before god's people god's people are compelled to follow that plan to follow that word to follow that vision to follow that challenge and to say let us rise up and build and let us strengthen our hands for this good work that's the first response that we find in this passage a response of obedience a response of faithfulness a response of trust in the will of god and in the hand of god and then as they are about to go ahead and do the work there is what i often like to call the big butts in scripture and scripture is full of many big butts and here we find another one the beginning of verse 19 but when sanballat the horonite and tobiah the ammonite servant and geshem the arab heard of it they jeered at us they despised us and they said what is this thing that you are doing are you rebelling against the king so we find very clearly some strong opposition to the to the word of god to the work of god in the midst of this particular community let's think about the people in this particular passage who are offering the opposition to nehemiah and to the work of god the first two we've already had mentioned uh, back earlier in in chapter 2 we find sanballat and tobiah mentioned in verse 10 but here we find a third one mentioned geshem the arab now the the ethnicity uh, specifically is not important what is important is the geographical locale that's what's important i think 
in the, in the laying out of this particular story. What we find is an opposition that's not just from the outside, but an opposition that's from the inside as well. The first character that we find is a man called um, Sanballat the Horonite. He comes from a place called Beth Horon. Beth Horon is a small village not far from Jerusalem. It's part of Judah. It's part of the, the community of the faithful. Sanballat is one of God's people, apparently. And the, the challenge and the opposition is from the inside. We talked about that some time ago as we went through Philippians in the summer. We talked about the opposition that Paul was facing, not just coming from those who were opposed to the Christian faith, but the opposition that was coming from those who were apparent followers of Jesus as well. And this goes back into the Old Testament times as well. We find that it's those who are apparently God's faithful, who are very often those who are most opposed to the work of God. And then we find the next character is someone called uh, Tobiah, who is an Ammonite servant. He comes from the region that's just across the Jordan, a little bit further to the east, south of the Sea of Galilee, in that particular uh, region there. So we find, and uh, he's already been mentioned, so we, we see that the, the opposition is, is local, it's a little bit further afield. And then in the mention of the third one, uh, Geshem, the Arab, the fact that he is an Arab is, 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 is not essential, but it's where he comes from. He comes from much, much further uh, to the south. So this opposition is a far-reaching opposition. It comes from nearby, further afield, and then it's almost like a circle. And, and, and as you consider what is going on here, as you consider this, this, this spreading, as it were, opposition to the work of God and to the people of God, one thing that struck me is that this is very, very similar to the charge that Jesus gave to his disciples. At the beginning of the book of Acts, at the end of Matthew's gospel, when Jesus charges them to, to share the good news, where does he send them? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. He says to them, beginning in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The message of the gospel is a gospel that begins within the heart of the people of God themselves. And it's a gospel message that spreads little by little and further and further afield. And one of the things that's a reality, whenever we are, as the people of God, faithfully proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, of his death for the forgiveness of our sins, there will always be opposition. Wherever we go, beginning at home and further afield and to the ends of the earth. Now the way this opposition takes place, this criticism takes place uh, towards the work of God is it seems to start as mere mockery. It says they jeered and despised 
And they both carry the sense of, of mockery and of scorn. But there's something more to it than that. It's actually quite, um, quite heavy criticisms that are brought to these, to these folks, to Nehemiah and the folks that are committed to the work. See, these, the, they, they ask these two questions. What is this thing that you are doing? And are you rebelling against the king? Well, often when you ask a question, you ask a question in order to, to gather information. Well, neither of these questions has the purpose of gathering information. Both these questions are asked in such a way that they are intending to intimidate and to, confuse, and to, and to accuse, intimidate and accuse. So the charges essentially inherent in these questions are stupidity and sedition. What do you think you're doing? Are you stupid? You've got no idea what it is that you are about to do. You have no ability to do this. You're rebelling against the king. That's a charge of sedition. Well, we know that this rebellion against the king is a blatant falsehood, isn't it? Nehemiah's already shown his letters. No, I'm not rebelling against the king. I'm acting in the name of the Lord. I've put many, many months of preparation into this work. And I know that God has called me to this. I wonder if in these charges that came against Nehemiah, you don't hear something of the charges that came against our Lord. Nehemiah in this passage becomes almost a Christ figure. Stupidity and sedition. As Jesus preached and as he healed, as he taught, as he shared the good news uh, of his father, the love that he was showing, the light that he was shining, Again and again, he was challenged. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You're just the son of Joseph. He was a carpenter. You are a nobody. You have no idea what you're doing. And yet in the face of that challenge, Jesus continued. And the other challenge of sedition came before Jesus. Rebelling against Herod, rebelling against Pilate, rebelling against Caesar. He was even charged with blasphemy, rebelling against God himself, the ultimate act of sedition. And in the face of those charges, our Lord continued the work that his Father had sent him to do. And in the face of those charges, he went to the cross and laid down his life. That even those who were issuing those charges against him could enter back into a relationship with his father and know forgiveness and know life in all its fullness.
And then we come to the final response in this passage. It's the response of, of Nehemiah himself. And there's a tremendous challenge for, for God's people and for us in this particular verse. What does Nehemiah say in verse 20? He said, the God of heaven will make us prosper. Well, this is God's work. And regardless of what you say, regardless of the challenges that come against us, if we are faithful and if we are obedient and if we are sensitive to the calling of God, It's the God of heaven himself who will make us prosper. It's not in our own ability. It's not even in our own knowledge of our own ability. All we are called to do is to trust and to be faithful. And God will do God's work in us and through us. The work is God's, and God will bring about the purpose that he has set. Those who are God's servants will do what God is calling them, what God is calling us to do. But then there's a challenge. A challenge is directed to those who stand in opposition to the work of God. A challenge that comes to those who choose not to follow, who choose not to embrace the call that God has upon his people. For Nehemiah says, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This has gospel applications and implications. You see, when the message of the gospel is proclaimed, when the good news of the love of Christ, of his death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and the new life that he offers to each and every one of us, there is a choice that each one of us faces. There's a choice that each one of us must make. You're either for him or you're against him. There are many, many things, dear friends, in Scripture that are grey, that we can talk about back and forth, that we can debate upon, but there's one thing that is black and white. What are you going to do with Jesus? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other name under heaven, says Peter in the book of Acts, by which we must be saved. There is one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself. There is no grey in the message of the gospel itself. 
You either accept the forgiveness that Christ offers or you reject it and walk away. The rich young ruler that came to Jesus, he laid out the truth to him and the young man walked away very sad. And Jesus let him walk away. You see, there is no middle ground. Friends, that challenge comes to you as it comes to me. And to all of us it comes daily, even those who have embraced that call and have embraced that challenge and are followers of Jesus Christ. But there comes a moment where that challenge is before us and we must say, yes, yes, let us rise up and build. Yes, I will follow Jesus. Yes, I want to be forgiven of all my sins. Yes, I want to know the fullness of life that comes through Jesus Christ. Or no, thank you. This is not for me. There is no middle ground. Either you are his, or you are on your own. The choice is yours, dear friends. The challenge comes to you. Will you follow him? Or will you walk away? It's my hope and it's my prayer that you will hear that call and you will say yes and you will say let us rise up and build in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.